This is the Edumatch Podcast Network, bringing you amazing educators sharing their love of learning one show at a time. The Edumatch Podcast Network is proud to support this show and many others. Find out more at edumatchpn.com. The ideas and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely of the individual podcaster. Welcome to the Undercaffeinated Podcast, a weekly podcast for educators who don't have time to listen to a podcast, kind of like us. Each week we'll cover a different topic in education in just about five to ten minutes. Our goal is to share bite-sized chunks of professional development so you can join us, whether you're driving your kids around, preparing dinner, making copies during prep, or really doing just about anything. This is PD for real teachers who are real tired, coming to you from Nevada, Colorado, and Florida. Welcome to another guest episode of the Undercaffeinated Podcast. Today we have Rochelle Dene Poth uh, joining me today to talk about, really, with her, all the things. Hi, Rochelle. How are you doing? I'm great, Erin. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy because I pronounced your name correctly. I appreciate that <laughs> so much because I've gotten so used to different variations. Like even as a, a kid, I was always called Rachel because that my name was never common. It's more common now, but I've become so accustomed to just answering to Rachel. Like I, most of the time I don't even notice it. And somebody else says, Hey, they just said, Rachel. I'm like, Oh, it's okay. <laughs> well, that's just cause you're so laid back and easygoing and kind, but your name in case anybody is unclear is Rochelle. <laughs> just, just to help you out. Public service announcement. So Rochelle. funny. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So Rochelle, would you go ahead and tell, um, Tell me and our audience just a little bit about yourself or a lot bit, your choice. Or a lot bit, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's see. I am currently a Spanish teacher and I teach a course in STEAM to eighth graders about emerging technology, which often confuses people because the fact that I'm a Spanish teacher and I'm teaching things like augmented virtual reality, artificial intelligence, they're like, how did those two come to be connected? Right. But, uh, and especially because my degree when I graduated college was French, but I couldn't get a job teaching French. So I went back and <laughs> certification. So um, I do, I haven't taught French in several years, but the connection with the technology is my school had gotten a grant to make our library into a makerspace. So the A being the arts, they needed somebody to kind of pull that in. And so a couple of years ago, I was asked to come up with a course. Uh, initially, I was helping students design these hummingbird robots, which I was not very good at at all. <laughs> and they moved out to the seventh grade, luckily. But then I had to come up with something different. And since I've always loved technology, I was like, you know what? I want to teach and I named 10 things. So that's what I've been doing for, I think, five years. Uh, let's see what else. I'm also an attorney, which, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you can't see my face right now, but I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, people say, well, did you, were you an attorney? And then you became a teacher. And I said, no, I actually taught for about six years, but getting my Spanish certification, I took courses in translation. And so we did things like business, medical, legal translation. And I had this, I don't know, I just had this interest in law, but I think it actually started from reading John Grisham novels, like way <laughs> long ago. I was just fascinated by it. And so the thought occurred to me of like, oh, maybe I'd become a paralegal. And then at one point I did take the, um, the LSAT 
to see. And then I got the scores and I had no idea what that meant. So I let it go. But then I think in my early thirties, I thought, you know what? I think maybe I'd like to try and see like if I could get in because in my mind waiting till later on in life and deciding, hmm, I wonder if I could have done this differently. Right. So I, I had to retake the test, which was good. Still got the score, had no idea. I didn't tell anybody that I had applied to Duquesne in Pittsburgh, um, which Pitt and Duquesne offer, or offer the program, but only Duquesne offers the evening program. So when I got the acceptance letter, I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to make some decisions. Totally not like undergrad. Like it is four years, four nights a week. They tell you the courses later on in the four years, like you have some electives you can pick, mm-hmm. but it is very, very uh, time intensive. So when I say like, I love school and I love learning, like I'm not kidding, but yeah. So that was 2006. I graduated and took the bar past the bar and just, I've kept teaching. So it's kind of a nice mix. Um, no regrets because like there are so many interesting things from my law school experience that kind of transcend into teaching. But right. when people hear that, they're like, how does that work? So yeah, that's part of my story. That's, I, I like, I don't even know how. I mean, I know how, because I did it, but it's like, how do you get a master's in education or a PhD in education and teach? No, no, no. You were getting a law degree and teaching, right? Right. And the funny thing is, is I never, I never got a master's. I had the bachelor's and I think that with all of the other credits with getting the Spanish, I think I had roughly like 210 undergrad level credits at some point with none of them being toward a master's, I just didn't have anything I was interested in. And then I got the law degree and people were like, you don't have a master's degree? I'm like, no. But then when I got more (laughs) interested in tech, I actually looked to see, is there a master's degree I can get in instructional technology? And I found it back at Duquesne. And so then I went back and did that program. But um, yeah, it's, I do, I love school, not gonna lie. But it is very time consuming. I mean, it's good for teachers to go back and experience that type of a program and that intensity to kind of balance all the things right? and get that perspective. Like, especially if you haven't been a student for a long period of time, like for me, the joke was I was kind of like in college for a period of like 15 years or something, <laughs> not all working on one degree, but it, it gives, it gives you a lot of perspective, both as a student and to experience like what other teachers do in their classrooms too. So I think, I mean, no matter what you ultimately do with your education, all of that is you know, amazing learning opportunities in itself. Right. That's, I think that's very wise. Now, excuse me, do any of those experiences, like, do you take any of that? I mean, obviously um, with your Spanish certification, but like the law and just the perspective of I'm, you know, going and I'm viewing what other teachers do. Do you use any of that in your classroom, in your consulting, in your books, like any of that? Or is it just kind of in the back of your head so that someday? Yeah, someday. No, um, I have used it. The interesting thing about the law school is I, I probably would not still be teaching had it not been for law school. Because yeah. I don't know, when I started teaching, I was on this idea or I had this idea of like, oh, I'm a 10-year plan. I have no idea why I thought that. But I didn't always want to be a teacher. Like I wasn't one of those people. And people ask me that like now they're like, really, you didn't? That's why I liked playing school as a kid. I liked going to school, but in college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And the only thing that I was really good at was helping others and French. And that's where I excelled. And so that's kind of like how I got into education in the first place. But 
with law school, being in those experiences where I was really struggling in some classes and felt uncomfortable, plus got to make connections with some of the professors and just saw the teacher-student relationship completely differently. Mm -hmm. From that point on, I started to bring those interactions and, and that experience back into my own classroom. And it made a huge difference because one of the professors in particular ended up being this great mentor and now friend for all of these years uh, who actually, I had to do like this oral argument my freshman year, first year, freshman year, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I was so nervous because you had to basically try a case, uh, you know, in front of this panel of older students. And my parents went down and watched and uh, I thought I did a decent job, you know, but your parents, of course, are going to be like, oh, you were great. And I didn't have this professor at the time, but I knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And after it, I walked out into the hall and I was still shaking because I was like nervous, but I was excited because I thought it went okay. And he took time to come over and say, hey, you know, I just want to let you know, kid, you did a really great job. And I was like, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, he validated, like I had so much self-doubt, but the fact that he took the time to do that, like it was so quick. I mean, it was like a one minute conversation. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I was like, wow, that made such a huge difference for me for the rest of that year and then moving forward. And then I did have him in class. I worked as an intern for him with some other students and doing research and just started to see how he engaged with the students on a different level, not just about the content, but like, okay, I got all this work to do, but you need to talk about your struggles in your classes. I don't care about the other stuff. Like we need to focus on you and what you need now. And so I took all of that back into my classroom and just really try to put it into practice, especially the relationships, because for years I kept my distance, you know, I was teaching how I've been taught and right. we didn't have those kind of relationships. And so I felt like I shouldn't let them know what I had at the restaurant over the weekend. Like they don't need to know that I ate pizza <laughs> or that I went to the movies. But um, after that experience, I, I mean, it completely changed me and my confidence too, and just so many things about it. And then moving forward, I mean, I became re-engaged in teaching because I started to make those connections. And uh, yeah, it's interesting, you know, your, your path in life. I always tell my students now, like, well, you say you might not need Spanish in the future, but you might actually end up being a French teacher, like the total opposite <laughs> of me. It could happen. And, um, but I mean, life is about opportunities, whether or not, you know, I, that I use the attorney part of my, you know, credentials in everyday life. I really don't, mm -hmm. but it comes in handy in the classroom because I did take some like forensic sciences and crime scene investigation, which is kind of funny to talk about when the kids say, well, I didn't do that. And you're like, okay, let me analyze this a little bit. Um, or just even in consulting, you know, with agreements and um, conversations with some different potential customers who want me to weigh out the options. And I'm not just, I'm not the type of person that's just going to tell you what you want to hear. Like I really do go through this like process and evaluate it because I want to help. So I think all of that does kind of, that was a long answer. I'm so sorry. All of that does kind of come into play. So it's all there in the back of the mind, but at the same point, it pops up mm -hmm. here and there. So it's fascinating. So don't apologize. Like it's really, <laughs> it's really engaging to know like the history and how it's all played out and how you can use some of these things. Cause I will tell you, I have the hardest time, like little ones. I can totally read them. Like mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a K one, two teacher and I can read you just fine. But right. I taught for a year and a half. I taught technology K through eight and the sixth, seventh and eighth graders, they would boldface lie. And I was like, I genuinely have no idea if you're lying to me or not. Like, I can't read you. I have no idea how this works. Yeah, it's tough. Right, exactly. So I think it's fantastic. I think it's really interesting. And 
kudos to you for really just <laughs> what's your next degree? That's been, <laughs> that <laughs> what's has been your a next long, adventure. You know, whenever I graduated law school and they announced it at school, actually, I mean, that's many years ago now. And they would say Dr. Poth. And my students were like, oh, you're a doctor? Like I have a sore throat. I'm like, it's not that kind of doctor. <laughs> but I did, I really did. If I, could, if I could go back and change some things, I mean, I had a heavy interest in the medical field. Like I, really, I did joke with my family that, yeah, I'm going to go back to you know, medical school now. And they're like, there is no way. Uh, <laughs> I would like to, and I was asked to kind of pursue to get my doctorate in the ed tech area mm -hmm. or instructional technology. But I am lucky that I survived the one statistics course that I had to take getting the master's that there, I, I know that I could not survive like the four that are required to get the doctorate. So, uh, but I mean, I keep busy with a lot of other things. And so it's not, I mean, I like to keep learning and I go to, you know, well, you know, conferences and right. online events. And um, I don't know, I think maybe I've had enough school, I mean, <laughs> long-term study but right. you see all the ads pop up. I think they're taunting me on like Facebook, like, hey, did you know you can get a master's of education or a doctor in education in just three years? I'm like, three years is a long time. Just you know? a little bit. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And learning doesn't equal, like, this is going to sound weird. Learning doesn't equal school. Learning equals like, like absorbing and uh, internalizing that new and different information and reapplying right. it. Right. So it doesn't need to be in a school setting. So right. medical school, doctorate, <laughs> whatever you decide, like I'm behind you cheering you on and just saying good for you. Yeah. It could be veterinarian because I get a lot of calls <laughs> from people. I get pictures sent a lot of the time of, of cats asking, you know, for advice because I may or may not have some cats. I'm not, not going to, you know, affirm or deny that, but, uh, but it's okay. I mean, I really, I don't mind answering questions. You know, if you have experience in certain areas, like you don't have to have a degree in something to have this higher level of knowledge. So, right. and I think that's kind of a misconception too about teaching. I mean, a lot of times, like as a Spanish teacher, if a student asks me a question, how do you say this word? I might not know it. There might be a huge percentage of, of words. There is a huge percentage of words I don't know in the English language, let alone in <laughs> Spanish. But think about all of the ways that we interact. I mean, if we were to go into, I don't know, some type of a manufacturing plant, could we name all of the parts? No. No. Like there's no way. So there are certain words that absolutely positively not going to be able to, to name. So I think showing like yeah, just because I'm standing here talking, I'm not necessarily the ex expert. We all have something to learn and something to teach one another, learn from a, each other. Right. And that's a level of vulnerability that can be difficult mm -hmm. to show, especially with students. I, and I'm, to be honest, like I think that there are a lot of educators who feel more comfortable showing that level of vulnerability to their kids as opposed to other adults. And you are comfortable. Are you comfortable? Or do you just force yourself in like both realms? You know, I, I never was comfortable for a good, I mean, the first 10 years of my teaching career because I had challenges with student behaviors and all of that management and so much of what was involved in my daily teaching practice. And I pushed myself into isolation because I didn't want to admit that because mm -hmm. I thought like, I'm weak. If I tell somebody like, I don't know how to control these behaviors, because I did have some, I mean, they weren't terrible, but as a, a starting teacher, it was tough to balance my schedule and I didn't have my own classroom. 
And so I, I didn't admit that to anybody. I mean, maybe my family and my friends, right. but, um, and I wasn't connected. I mean, that goes back so many years, but now the older I've gotten and after just making connections and after reading Brene Brown a couple of years ago, that was another big piece. And I thought, you know what, like people need to hear your, our experiences because there might be somebody who's out there. There are people out there that are going through the exact same thing right. that don't have anybody to, that they feel comfortable talking to. And even if you're one story, whether you go on a podcast or you write a blog or you put out a tweet or whatever it is that you're comfortable with, and it reaches just one person, it, it might just be that one person that needed it. That's going to keep them in the profession and keep them going. And so, um, you know, I've learned to kind of make fun of myself and to openly admit, admit mistakes, mistakes. I can't even say it in front of a mistake <laughs> in front of my students so much that like a couple of years ago, they started to write tally marks on the board. They're like, oh my gosh, you made a mistake. I said, stick around. I make like a thousand or more a day. You know, like I'm not an expert, like I'm a person. So, but it, it can be very difficult. But I think as soon as you, the first time you admit something or show that vulnerability, like it definitely gets easier. And it's great to model that for kids too. That's fantastic. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so because you're so vulnerable in front of the kids, and I imagine that that helps the relationship um, and the behaviors and that sort of thing, because you're it kind of what Elizabeth always talks to, like focusing on the, the skills instead of the the clips or whatever, you know what right. I mean? Um, really building that strong and solid relationship. Um, and I, I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that same kind of concept applies with adults. Like people feel connected to you because you do share your mistakes and you share your stories and you share your experiences. Right. Right. Yeah. Where are the places? I mean, I know you, I know you have books. I know you have a podcast. Um, you have a role in ISTE. I'm not sure your title though. Yeah, I am currently the president of the Teacher Education Network. And then I'm one of the members of the leadership team for Mobile Learning Network. Okay. So all of those pieces and more, you share your story, right? Right. Is it, do you share, <clears throat> excuse me, do you share your whole story in all of those pieces or is like each one get a different piece of Rochelle? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it, it, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You stumped me. No, <laughs> I, I feel like, especially with the, within the ISTE community, because I've been involved in it for so many years now mm -hmm. in both of those networks, actually in some form, you know, this is my second year, my last year as being president of teacher ed. And then I've been with mobile learning for a while, but like you work with this same group of people. And so you really get to know each other, build those friendships, but then also within those communities where they have discussions, um, I mean, people really openly share, ask questions, just like you would see like in our group on um, Twitter and Facebook, people are really leveraging that to share, you know, their experiences, whether good or bad or asking for help. And so when I read something, if I feel like my experience that was a struggle for me or something is going to help somebody mm -hmm. or just saying like, you know what, I spent all these years isolating myself and I missed opportunities but more importantly, like the ones that I kept for my students, like those, if I can get somebody to totally avoid or mostly avoid any of those types of experiences, um, then I will do whatever it takes sharing in my own experience. Not that I have all the answers, but I can definitely at least lend support in that way. Right. And it feels like it feels good. I think, I mean, I'm one that needs that connection. 
<clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. I, it feels validating, I guess, to know that you're not alone. It feels right. um, so that you can, you can ask questions or even just commiserate, like, right? You need yeah. that, that safe too. space to feel, to vent and feel like you're not being judged for your uh, weaknesses, right? right? So I think it's fantastic how, um, how open you are and how easy you are to talk to because as we talked about, uh, you were recently named one of the top 100 ed tech influencers. So the fact that you are dubbed by ed tech digest as an influencer, but you're so down to earth, you're so easy to talk to, you're so accessible. Um, it, it makes it so that in my opinion, it's very comfortable. It's very easy to talk to you, to get ideas, to express those fears and concerns and questions and that sort of thing. So I imagine as connected as you are, there are a lot of people that feel the same way, uh, knowing how often you're on your phone and <laughs> get this dinging and that dinging at you and whatnot. Yeah. But, and I, and I, I really don't mind. I mean, I, I try to say I'll disconnect, but I can't because it bothers me so much. If I think that I miss a message or somebody's looking for an answer and I could have you know, answer the, or yeah, looking for an answer. I could have answered their question and I disconnected a little bit. And some people were like, why do you do that? That's not good. And I said, I mean, that's just, everybody's different. Right. But, uh, but I have heard, I mean, people do, I mean, I would like to be somebody that people can feel comfortable coming and talking to. I don't know if that's part of the attorney thing too. So people know that like, wow, she's not going to tell any secrets. I am very good at keeping <laughs> secrets, but also I mean, even in the classroom, you know, students have so many different things that they experience. And I mean, obviously if it's an issue that, that needs to be reported or those types of serious right. need to be handled in a specific way, then I do that. But there are some times where you, you might have a student who just wants to come into some space where if they want to sit down at a desk in your room, because there's nobody in there right now, and they just want to put their head down and cry or, you know, like lay on the floor in like <laughs> frustration because they just you know, think they failed a test or something like that, or just vent a little bit and feel safe that, that you're not going to, to judge them and not really going to tell them like, this is what you need to do and so forth, that you're just going to listen. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do give some kind of muddled advice sometimes, but not with the intent of telling them what to do or what direction to take, but that's where the attorney piece comes in and I kind of analyze all the things. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I, I kind of enjoy doing that. And I, I did think about, oh, maybe I'd go into like, you know, school counseling or something at some point. I don't know that I would be any good, but I really do like talking to people in those interactions where I can try and help them to like problem solve or whatever it is that they need. Right. There's a totally like random side sidebar, there's a, a, an area of law where you work with children. And so like, I don't, I don't know the particular situations or anything like that, but you're basically getting the kids to know that it's okay to talk to you and you're getting like their side of the story of whatever it is. I think you'd be good at that. <laughs> Thanks. Maybe that'll be my next, uh, next learning adventure. There you go. Find out what, what part of law that is first. Cause I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, okay. So I'd like to go back to the EdTech Digest, if you don't mind. Okay. We won't dwell on it. Um, okay. but I, I just, uh, one, congratulations. Like that's a pretty you. big deal. <laughs> um, so obviously EdTech is, is 
important for you. You, you got a master's degree in it, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> Finally, the master's degree. Yes. <laughs> Had to be the tech. Right. That came after the law degree. It did. Okay. Um, and then, and then you teach this STEM class mm -hmm. with eighth graders where you focus on a, a variety of ed tech tools. Um, what about ed tech is so thrilling to you? Well, um, one, it's exciting to see now what's available to students because when I was their age in eighth grade, I remember we just started to have computers come to the classroom. <laughs> and so we have the best conversations. And like the class that I teach them, even though it's about emerging technology, there are a lot of things that we do that absolutely do not involve like the, you know, I mean, a lot of things qualify as technology. Right. We get into debates like, is a pencil technology? How about this paperclip or things like that? But <laughs> We do the basics, and when I start the year, we, we look at old tech, you know, back in the 80s or how kids react videos. They'll come into the classroom. I have like a rotary phone, tape player, you know, big uh, albums, you name oh, it. I roll film. I get the cassette tape, and I pull it all out and panic, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? But just to show them how quickly, you know, things change, and then we have discussions. And then another big part of what we do is digital citizenship because they're at that age where they are so connected but we can't assume that they have all the skills they need because it, it's so funny. A couple of years ago, I would say, well, bring your text to the class. And they said, we have to text you about class. I said, no, like bring your textbook. What's a textbook? I went, <laughs> it's your hardcover book. Um, so we, I mean, it's fun, just the conversations that we have, but the thing that fascinates me about it is that it enables us to bring in so many different learning opportunities that before were either never possible or were, were completely, I mean, like pen pals, for example. When I went to school, you had to like write the letter, send it, pay a little bit, hope you get the letter back, three weeks, six weeks, however much time. Now we can use these different tools where I can connect my students with classrooms anywhere in the world instantly. We can use Immersive Reader and some of these tools to connect with students who's, you know, they don't speak English. Um, I mean, just the potential that we have to amplify the learning the students are doing. Right. That's what excites me about it. And it's not about the tech. I mean, I could, I could walk into a classroom tomorrow and be like, wow, I got like all these new iPads and the best computers and AR, VR headsets and you name it. But if I'm not doing something that's meaningful as far as the learning and the pedagogy, the part of it is that's like, it's not worth anything. So right. another thing I love to say, and I know a lot of people say this is like the why I always think about why are we using this or what's it going to do differently? And just as an example, I mean, one thing that, that ed tech has been really great for my students for has been building confidence for a lot of them using different tools, uh, like the video response tools or even blogging, mm -hmm. being able to, they don't want to speak in front of their classmates. They go and they use something like Flipgrid and they have no problem once they've recorded and they're comfortable with how it looks, having it be shown in class. And then I've seen just like the relationships start to build in the class because they've made these connections and their confidence. And they've, they've actually told me that. So the thing that fascinates me, I mean, back to your original question is just, I'm able to find something for every single student that kind of, in some cases ends up being a catalyst to like pull them in, engage them in the content or meet whatever their interests and learning needs are that are, I mean, they're better for them. I don't know. There's just, so much out there that finding the right thing to use, it's like, oh my gosh, where do I start? It can be overwhelming, yeah. but it's also exciting just 
to even have discussions like, oh, well, check out this cell phone now. Well, look at the one I had back in 1990 <laughs> that was attached to my car was in a bag I carried on my shoulder. And they're like, <laughs> what? So I don't know. I just, I, I think it really does enable learning to happen anywhere and the world becomes our classroom. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I, all of that. Yes. That's, yes. <laughs> that's all I've got to say. You said it so much better than I ever could, but I completely I don't know agree about that. I just, I get excited to talk about this kind of stuff. And so sometimes you have to like, give me the, okay, that's enough. <laughs> the Jeopardy ding. <laughs> I'll give you the Ross. That too. <laughs> you couldn't see, but for those of you that are old enough to know the friends reference, like his little, like mm, bring it down a little bit duck face kind of thing. <laughs> right. Totally got to do that once in a while with me. <laughs> Not at all. Cause I get, I get just as excited. My first master's was in ed tech and I loved it. I love it. I still love it. I love everything about it. I get so excited and I get, um, uh, when, when a teacher will finally let me work with them on something, I'm just like, yes, what can we do? Okay. Why are we going to do it? What are we going to use? That sort of thing. But, um, you know, it's always, it always, always, always has to go back to the why, because absolutely, if you're using it just for the sake of the tech, then you're relying on that novelty and right. the learning is not going to be as, um, deep. Mm -mm. And it's not going to be as valuable. Like the kids aren't necessarily always going to remember that um, when that's kind of the purpose behind it, right? Yeah. I mean, tech is fun. Like even, I mean, some tools, you look at the augmented virtual reality, I'll just say, and, oh, it's fun. Let's look at this. But you can actually go beyond that. And I mean, it takes a little bit of time for teachers, but if they're looking, say, in a VR experience, like, oh, wow, like I'm in Paris now. This is great. That's nice, but don't just have them look at that experience. Like, look around and ask them questions about it so then they become curious or ask their own. Like, take it a step beyond that. Uh, it takes a little time to kind of figure out, like, what do I do with this besides this one thing? And even some of the tech tools that are out there, and you know, it's like mm -hmm. a lot of them end up being thought of as like one purpose, but there's so many other ways that you can use them. And sometimes, like, I'll find one tool, and even the kids who are like, I don't want to use technology. I just want to use, and I'm like, really? Cause you're on your cell phone all the time. And now <laughs> don't want to use the tech, but I find that even those, and that goes with teachers too, who tend to push back. Sometimes when you find the right tool, it's, it's great because every single person, student or teacher can find exactly what they need and what they're comfortable with too. So I think that's right. another benefit of it. Right. No, I, I agree with you. Um, and I want to, my next question was going to be, okay. So for me, the AR VR is something that I've not looked super deep into one because I don't, um, one, I'm just, I'm nervous about it. Not that I have any reason to be, but I'm nervous because I don't know anything about it. Right. Okay. And then two, because I just don't feel like, I don't feel like I know enough about it to be able to share it with anybody and nobody's asking about it. Nobody wants to know anything about it. So I'm investing my time in the things that other, like as an instructional coach, right. I'm investing my time in the things that the teachers want. Right. Um, or that I know that, that they would accept. So can you give me say like two or three things where you're like, okay, we're doing AR VR. Here's things that you can do. Like, here's the why behind it. Yeah. Um, when, and it's funny, whenever I started with doing anything in that area, 
gosh, it's probably been five, maybe six years now. Actually, maybe longer, but we'll go with that. And <laughs> it was with Nearpod and my librarian at the time introduced me to Nearpod and showed it to me. And I was like, I don't understand it. She said, well, it's like a PowerPoint that you control. Right. And I went, okay. And so that was our professional development session. And I didn't really look at it after that, but then about a year later, getting my master's, we had to create a lesson with Nearpod. And I went, oh, here's that Nearpod thing. <laughs> and I tell this story all the time. And I present on Nearpod at conferences when I do the ARVR sessions, because it's kind of like that first um, impression that you might get from it, but like looking beyond that. And so I had to do this project and I created a lesson for my Spanish three students who were learning about South America. And at the time I was showing videos or some pictures and the, the book, we had a reader and the pictures were just like squiggly black lines, you know, like, <laughs> oh, look, it's beautiful. It's Machu Picchu. Imagine what it would be like to be there. And they're like, yeah, that's great. So I created this lesson where then they had these trips, the VR trips that were already in there. And it didn't take a ton of time to put that together. Now, I mean, all these years later, you don't even have to create because there's thousands of lessons in the library that have those in, right. or you can use what you already have made and just add a couple of those trips in. But a couple of the kids in that class really didn't want to use technology, like I said. And so I did that lesson and they were doing a trip on, or a project on a camping trip. And I didn't really care how they did it. I just said what they needed to include in it. Mm -hmm. And if they wanted to draw us, that's fine. If they wanted to use tech, that's fine. So one of the students came in and said, Mrs. Poth, I have my Nearpod. I said, I don't know what you mean. And I'm really <laughs> frank. I'm like, I don't understand. Like I just say it like that. Like, I'm not sure. And he said, I have my Nearpod. And I said, I, I don't know what you mean. My Nearpod, I did a, my camping trip with Nearpod. I went, wait a minute, a week and a half ago, you didn't want to use any tech and now you use Nearpod. Oh yeah. Cause that thing was like way cool was what he said. <laughs> and I said, well, what did you do? I said, log in. I said, well, log in my computer and then I'll run it. And he said, no, I made it. I'm going to be the teacher. And so I had to go sit down, which I was like, I'm not sure how I feel about this conversation right now, but <laughs> I'm going to go play this out because it was interesting that he had done that. So what he did is he made the lesson. He added in a couple of trips. He put in a poll, a video he added in and just basically led everybody on a, what kind of camping trip would you like to go on? Did the poll showed like three or four different spots and that was it. And it was at that moment that I was like, oh my gosh, this is huge because I don't need to make everything. The students can actually create these multimedia presentations and have the VR. So for somebody who's looking and feels like, I don't know enough about AR, VR, where do I start? Mm -hmm. Nearpod has always been the number one that I say, this is where you can start because you have the content that's in there. You can try it out, see how it goes. And then if you like it, make it your own or just find something else that's available. Um, another thing that is easy to get started with is Google Expeditions because it's free and you have the script. So you have these tours from wherever around the world. So if you're studying certain period of time in history, if you're looking like under the water, under the sea, you can find all of these tours that are already made. And then you look like you're a genius because <laughs> you are, but you pull it up and you're directing the students as you guide them. Well, if you look to the left, you can see in 1942, this building was built by, and you just read it, but you have the script in front of you. Right. And so it's not like you have to invest so much time in it. It's there. Um, so those two, and then even looking at augmented reality, like Merge Cube, a lot of people are familiar with Merge Cube, mm -hmm. which is like the cube, you have the holograms on it, and you can use that in so many different areas. So, I mean, the thing with AR, VR is it's so easy to get started with, not that you have to 
as the teacher, create something. There's enough that's already out there. You just got to pick one and just go with it. And the biggest thing is don't even worry about having to teach all about it. Just start and let the students kind of take it in their own direction that they want to go. I mean, that's where you get more curiosity and then it fuels the conversation because if you like, for example, use the Nearpod lesson and they're looking around this beautiful um, overlook of the ocean and the seas at, at some foreign exotic place, which they're in there and they're amazing. <laughs> and they, they're curious and they ask questions or you can just ask questions. So it's, um, it's just a really easy way to get started. Okay. So it looks like I need to do some research. Just get oh, started. And, and actually, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say this, Jamie Donnelly is an amazing, I mean, I call her my BFF. She might make fun of me a lot for having <laughs> cats, but we do get to present a lot with each other at different conferences, but on Wednesday nights, for a lot of people looking to learn about ARVR, she has a chat, 9 to 9.30 Eastern, and it's hashtag ARVR in EDU. And so every week, it's a different, you know, 30 minutes, and actually the month of March, and she did one last year, she did like 31 days, every day it's another, you know, blurb about this is what it looks like, this is the tool, this is how you can use it, so, and she posts them on her site, so it's not like, if you're listening to this and it's like July and you're like, Oh, I missed it. <laughs> Just go back to her website and it's the ARVR and EDU. But I have to give a shout out to that, to her, because that's another reason that I do a lot of the things that I do. Right. And I'll put her website. I have your website, but I'll put her website in the show notes too. Okay. Um, so just going back to that, your website, I have up, I have in the show notes, your um, handle I know is the same, like across all platforms, which yeah, platforms, very consistent, right? Which platforms can, can everybody find you? Um, Twitter, mm-hmm. Instagram. Uh, I mean, I'm on Facebook. It's just a different, it's Rochelle Burke was post. I'm on LinkedIn. It's my name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> great. Or, I mean, if someone wants to send me a box, it's rdna915. Gotcha. Yes. Your RDNA nine one five on a lot of those things. Yeah, my email. I got I got away from the AOL email, which I still have. But um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, and then you have how many books? I have a link to your Amazon, like your Amazon page with all of the books. How many books do you have published? Uh, let's see. Officially, March tenth, my fourth one came out. So. Congratulations. For this year. It's, it's crazy. When I think about it, I'm like, how in the world did that happen? <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, busy. Exciting. I was uh, a little bit, but it was all good. I mean, it was a choice I made like, oh yeah, let's just write three at the same time. Like that's not a problem, but I think it actually is the way to go. I mean, maybe not three, maybe two, but if you get <laughs> that writer's block, you just get it on one book and then you go to the other one. So nice. And then do you want to tell, um, Do you want to tell us the titles of your book? Yeah. So the first one was, in other words, quotes that push our thinking. And then um, the future is now looking back to move ahead. And then let's see, December was unconventional ways to thrive in EDU. And my new book is with ISTE, which I'm super excited about because that's been one I've been wanting to do for the last couple of years. So the fact that it's like here officially and I have it, it's awesome, is chart a new course, a teaching guide for um, teaching the essential skills for tomorrow's world. Oh, that sounds interesting. They all sound interesting. (laughs) Um, So if you want to check out one of um, Rochelle's books, 
she's got a list on her website and then in the link in the show notes, um, you can pick one, pick them all, um, on Amazon. Um, okay. So Rochelle, I have one last fun question for you. Okay. Actually, I have a ton more questions, but I should I be nervous about the fun question. No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Uh, because we just literally talked about this. So if you could go anywhere, you travel anywhere for just a day, <laughs> where would you go and why? You know, this is, this might be a first and here's why. Anytime somebody asks me just one, if you could just pick one, I always, I'm like, nope, I can't. If it's pick three, three people, I pick three organizations. But I think this might be the first time I can Woo! just pick one. I would go to Nashville, hands down. It has been a great place. I've been there for a couple conferences in the last, I was there once as a kid and then I wasn't there for probably 30 years and then had a chance to go for two conferences and then some writing retreats and mm -hmm. Uh, it's been amazing. And so yeah. I, I love it. It's a, it's definitely a place where everybody can find something that they enjoy. And it's a great place to just go and spend time with friends. Or if you want to, if you want to get away from doing some writing, I mean, or a day if airfares <laughs> allow, I mean, <laughs> super cheap for some reason. Totally. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> All right. I've flown into Nashville's flown out of Nashville's airport. That's the extent of my Nashville experience. Okay. Usually if I have a connecting flight somewhere, I always see, are there any in Nashville? Because <laughs> they have a place that plays music in the airport. So I'm like, if I'm going to be sitting in an airport, I'd rather at least hear some live music. So there you go. So Nashville it is for Rochelle. It is for sure. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We are under caffeinated on Twitter and Instagram, and we would love to hear from you. If you like what you heard today, please consider leaving us a review on Apple podcasts um, to help other educators like you find us just that much easier. Rochelle, thank you so much for coming on this evening. It was so much fun talking to you. <laughs> well, it was very fun being here with you as well. So thank you. All right. You have a wonderful evening or morning or afternoon, whenever, whenever you happen to be listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you.